Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. I have a very clear memory of the very first time that I was deeply and emotionally affected by death. I was five, maybe six years old, and I remember it very clearly. No one had died. It was a Sunday afternoon, and my family had just come back home from church. I was playing by myself in my bedroom, and I remember thinking through the Sunday school lesson that I learned that morning. I don't remember my Sunday school teacher's exact words, but I remember she taught us that everyone will eventually die. And as five or six-year-old Matt sat there playing in his bedroom, it dawned on me that everyone included my mom and my dad. I began to cry. In fact, I remember crying so loudly that my mom, who was in the next room, came in because she thought I was hurt or something was wrong, and she asked me what happened, what's wrong, and I told her what was making me so sad. I said, Mom, you and Dad are one day, you're going to die. And I don't remember what my mother told me, but I do remember exactly. I have a very vivid memory of her coming into my room, sitting down next to me on the floor, giving me a big hug and placing her arms around me and assuring me, comforting me, that it would be, God willing, years and years and years until her and my father did die. And I remember most of all that she shared with me what the Bible said about death. And that's what I want to have a conversation about this morning. Our view, the biblical view on death. Throughout our sermon series, Soul Searching, we've been looking at a number of different questions, deep questions about life. Furthermore, we've been taking a look at the implications of the biblical worldview and how they inform the way we answer these questions and the way we live out these questions. Questions about origin, like where we came from. Questions about meaning and what our purpose is here on this earth. Questions about morality, what's right or what's wrong. And today, I want to encourage you to think about this question. The question about destiny, about what's going to happen to you when you die. The question about where you're going when you die. I want to encourage you to wrestle with that question and think about that question because I don't know how many people, if any people, really, truly, deeply wrestle with that. When was the last time that you came face to face and thought really long and hard about your mortality? I know I don't do that on a day-to-day basis. In fact, I think most of us are kind of like that five- and six-year-old child, right? That we've thought about it before. We understand that it's going to happen, right? 
but we grow up to accept that. We just grow up to expect it as inevitable and we carry on. It's not something that we think about on a day-to-day basis. And yet, the, the childhood insight remains true. Everyone's gonna die. At some point or another, we need to wrestle with what, what people have called the threat of non-being. The idea that while I exist here and now and I am alive, one day I will cease to exist, I will cease to be, and I no longer will be alive. It's a staggering thought. It's a threatening thought that the life I have now, one day, will simply stop. And quite frankly, it's the horror of humankind. The idea that because one day I will be nothing, maybe right now, I am nothing. And it's the scariness of that nothingness that leads people to answer that question, the question about where we go when we die, what will happen when we die in a variety of different ways. There is theory upon theory upon theory about what will happen when we die. Let's just talk about here in the United States for a moment. In the United States, 70% of people believe that heaven or hell will happen after we die. Also, 34% believe that there is some kind of paranormal life, that after we die, our spirits, our souls won't go to heaven or hell, but they will float about and, you know, just exist in spirit form after we die. An idea that is more closely associated with Eastern religions is taking very much a prominent hold here. So also the idea of incarnation, that we will come back over and over and over to live life here in the world as some kind of being. And then there's 10% of people that believe nothing happens. We simply stop. We simply cease to exist. There is no life after death. Now, some of you are looking at this and adding it up and saying, hey, Pastor Matt, those numbers add up to way more than 100%. What's going on? Well, you're exactly right. See, there's a fascinating thing about Americans is that they're willing to accept a number of different beliefs, a number of different worldviews about what happens after we die, even if they're illogically contradictory. Let's just talk about Christianity for a moment. Spoiler alert. The Bible says that when you die, either you go to heaven or hell. We're going to talk more about that today. And yet, 10% of people who claim to be Christians say that there is actually reincarnation that's going to happen. And a quarter of people who claim to be Christian, who say that they're Christian, say even though the Bible teaches clearly, specifically about the doctrine of hell, the fact that there is hell, a quarter of people would say in America today, what doesn't exist. Let's look at the opposite end of the spectrum. Atheism, the idea that there is no God, that there is no thing associated with a God. And yet, 50% believe that the things God created, heaven and hell, do exist. One out of every eight atheists, if you asked him, would say, sure, belief in Jesus means you're going to live forever in eternity with him the very antithesis of atheism. 
why the illogical nature of these beliefs? Why is it that Americans and really people everywhere are unable to answer these questions about where we go when we die with any kind of certainty or consistency? Well, it's what you find is that people don't know the answer. And so people take their cues from pop culture, from books, from movies, from television shows, from music, and they combine them together without ever actually having carefully considered this question. So what about you? How would you answer the question? You know, I really have no doubts that the majority of people that I know in here, if you've been around church even for a minute, you'd be able to give me the textbook answer to this question. But how confident are you in that answer? And furthermore, here's probably the better question. How confident and how comfortable are you living out the implications to your answer to that question? That's what I want to talk about this morning. The biblical view on death and where we will go when we die and what the implications of that answer mean for each and every one of you. The biblical view on death is clear and it is straightforward. We read about it in our lesson from Ecclesiastes this morning. If you're following along in our worship guide, here's the first one. What the Bible says about death is that it is certain. Solomon said this, Everyone shares a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not, all of them meet the same fate. Everyone dies. This isn't just King Solomon's idea either. The New Testament says the same thing. The Apostle Paul says, just like as in Adam and Eve who died, so everyone will die. 1 Corinthians 15. That's the first one. Here's the other thing about death. As certain as it is, so also is the certainty of judgment that will happen after you die. King Solomon said, So I reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. Again, not King Solomon's idea. Jesus Christ himself talked about this. He said in Matthew chapter 25, When he comes back, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of time. Then he will say to those on their left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Death is certain. Death results in judgment. And the Bible's clear, death is final. King Solomon got at this when he said, the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. And even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy, they have all long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under their sun. There is a finality to death. The writer to the Hebrews echoes this and says, people are destined to die once. And after that, face judgment. So where does this leave us? You add them all up, and the human reaction to all of this is that death is 
terrifying. It is very scary because death is the biggest thing in our life. It is the last thing that we will do in this life. And death is a thing you have no control over. And we haven't even talked yet about the why of death. Why there is even death in the first place. Scripture scripture tells us that there is death because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man, woman, and child. Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Romans chapter 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. What the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6 is taking us back to the Garden of Eden. When there was no sin, there was no death. When Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony and perfect holiness with their God, there was no sin and there was no death. And yet when they sinned, the wages or the result of sin was death. It's kind of like the saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's sin, there is death. When Paul uses the metaphor of wages, what he's saying is all the selfish things that you've done, all the cruel words that you've spoken, all the wicked ideas that you've had, they all result in one thing, a coffin for you and me, or an urn or tray in the mausoleum. You can euphemize it however you want, but it all results in death. Death and sin are connected. They cannot be separated from one another. And because of that, you and I who are sinners, we are prisoners to both sin and death. Actually, I misspoke. We were. We were prisoners to both sin and death. Let me tell you a mystery. That's how 1 Corinthians 15 starts out. The Apostle Paul says, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, for he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin and death, there they are again. They are inseparably connected. You cannot have sin and death without each other. Because of that, we were were prisoners to both. But God sent his son Jesus, who broke us, free from that. I don't think often enough we stop and we really think about the important implications of the Easter resurrection. 
all the time. We, we talk about the gospel. I preach about the gospel and I say, Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life that you could not live. I go on, I say, Jesus Christ came and he died the death that you could not. And then for extra measure, sometimes we talk about the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And all as Christians sit back collectively and go, mm-hmm, yes, that's nice, I know. But that is not just frosting on the cake. That is the cake itself. That is the key to this whole thing. That is the foundational component to Christianity. That is the answer to the question of where you will go when you die. The fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Listen, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, he would still be a really cool guy. He would still be a great man. He would still be an awesome teacher, a perfect prophet. He would still be a divine healer, but he would not be your savior from sin. Because anybody who claims to have conquered death and sin and yet has not been risen from the dead, well, they're lying. They haven't defeated both. Sin and death are inseparably connected to one another. But Jesus wasn't lying. He isn't lying. He has risen. He has risen from the dead. The tomb is empty And that means that he has conquered both sin and death. And the fact, the fact that Christ has a resurrection from death to life means that the Christian has significant implications for their life after death. Our gospel lesson this morning is from John chapter 14. And we're actually going to take it just a few verses prior to that. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 13, actually. We're going to start reading at verse 36. The setting is the night before Jesus died for the sins of the world. He's sitting around having a really awesome meal with all of his loved ones, with his disciples. And then Jesus has to go and throw a wet blanket on the whole party because what he says to them is this. Where I'm going, you can't follow me. I'm about to leave you all and you can't come with me. And so the ever perceptive apostle Peter jumps in with this. This is what he says. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can you know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here at our church, we, we stop and we, we pause and we talk about these verses on occasion. These are good verses, but this morning what I want to do is point your attention to two other verses. Two verses that we read from John 14, verses 2 and 3. Jesus said, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. My friends, these verses reach out and grab you with the greatest part about death, the greatest part about your life after death. It tells you about heaven. Oftentimes, when we think about heaven or we talk about heaven at churches, what we do is we like to talk about how it is going to be a place of perfection. It is going to be a place of Eden restored for us, paradise. We talk about how it's going to be more brilliant than all of the gold and all of the precious stones in the world. We talk about how heaven is going to be a place of no mores. It's going to be a place of no more sorrows, no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain. But that is not even the best part about heaven. Do you know what it is? It's the company that you will keep. And it's not even your friends or your family or your brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm talking about. It's the fact that you will be with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's the fact that you will be eternally in the presence of the Lamb of God who has taken away all of your sins. That is the greatest part of heaven, and that is the question to the answer, the question, answer to the question we're asking. Where will you go when you die? I am going where he is. You are going to the place where he is forever. I just want you to think about what that means and what that says about what Jesus thinks about you. The God who created you, the God who knows you inside and out, all your secrets, all your sins, and everything that you've ever done because he went to the cross to pay for those things, so wanted to be with you, so wanted to stay with you wherever you went, so wanted to be by you wherever you were throughout eternity that he did something about it, that he came and he lived the perfect life for you. He came and he suffered the death you and I couldn't so that he could rise from the dead and eternally beat sin and death so that you could be where he is. And that is where you are going when you die. I want you to do this just for a second. I want you to think about the best place that you have ever been with your family. Or maybe envision what that best place would if you're, if you're planning a dream vacation with your spouse. What does that place look like? What do you feel like in that place? Maybe think about the best time that you've ever had with your friends. Where was that place and, and what did it feel like? Maybe you've done this before, but imagine your dream home. Picture what it's like, what it feels like walking in to that place. Picture the place where you've been your best, where you've been at your best, where you've experienced complete peace. 
where you've experienced complete happiness, where you've experienced really complete confidence and assurance about who you are. Why don't you put all those places together for just a moment and just feel the heart yearn for that place. Well, there is a place like that, but there's a place greater than that. It's the place that Christ Jesus is and the place that Christ Jesus has made for you. Look, we talk about heaven being a place of glory and perfection, a place where we get to go where there's no more sorrow or tears or pain or suffering, a place that is covered in gold and a place where we sing the praises of God forever. But did you ever stop and think that the God who made the world for you, the God who sent his son for you, the God who's moved time and history for you so that you might be called his own has also described heaven in this way. It's a place for you. He has made a place for you. And that gives you just another way to answer the question of where you're going when you die. I'm gonna go and be where he is and I am going to go to the place where he has prepared for me for you personally. Would you do me a favor and take your worship guide and just open it up to the front? See what it says on the top? It says, welcome to a place for you. If you go on our website and you look at the top headline, you want to know what it'll say? A place for you. If you go on Facebook, you'll see the same thing. You know where we got that idea? From Jesus. From Jesus who talked about his ultimate goal for you. That he came here to save you and he's going to heaven to prepare a place for you and he has and he's coming back to take you to be with him forever. And if our church can be anything for you, that's what we want it to be. A place that doesn't just remind you of that, but a place that points you to that, a place that points you to the place that Jesus has prepared for you, the place that Jesus has prepared personally, lovingly for you. That's what we want it to be. Listen, knowing how you answer that question, where will I go when I die? What will happen to me when I die? It changes the way that you think about death. It also changes the way you live as well. Let me read you a passage from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 says this, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Did you catch what it said there? Right now, right here and now, your life is hidden, it is kept, it is concealed, it is in the safe with Christ. That's the joy of being a Christian. It's the already, but not yet. Already, my heart, my life is kept 
with Christ. That changes the way you think about this life. Can I share with you an illustration that really helps you think about, really helps you think about the implications of living with your mind set on things above? Really changes the way you think about the implications of knowing the answer of where you're going and what's happening when you die. Some of you probably probably already have seen this uh, illustration before, um, but maybe not. It helps you think through um, the thing that we're talking about, the thing uh, that Jesus is talking about with this. Now, I picked up a 100-foot rope from the Home Depot this weekend. I want you to pretend for a second that it's not just 100 feet long. I want you to pretend for a moment that it doesn't just go out the door here, but it keeps going. It keeps going and going and going. It's going to go out the door. It's going to go down the street. It's going to go around the block through town, and it's going to wrap around the world. And it's just going to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. Now, I want you to pretend that this rope isn't just a rope. I want you to pretend for a moment that it's a timeline. It's a timeline of your entire existence, your existence for millions and millions and millions of years, time millions more in eternity with Christ in heaven. I want you to take a look at this little blue part right here. Because this blue part represents your existence here. It represents your existence now on earth. What Christ Jesus is telling us is to set your mind on these things, the millions and millions of years times eternity that were with him. And yet how many of us sit here and plan and plan and plan and plan to work really, really hard for this amount of time so that I can save and save and save and really enjoy life during this amount of time right here? We take so much time thinking about these things right here, where we're going to live and are our kids going to be okay and what are we going to do for health and what are we going to eat and we plan and plan and plan for all these things. But it's what we talked about at the introduction. How how many of us have taken the time to think about this? To take the time to think about all of this? I mean, it blows my mind. But some of you take weeks and months and years to plan a wedding, plan a vacation, to save up and plan and research the next big thing that you're going to buy to enjoy right here. But some of you don't even take an hour a week to think about this, to plan for all of this. And furthermore, what Christ tells us, what his word tells us, the things that we do here, the things that we believe here, the things that happen here, the things of faith matters, they affect all of this. And what do we do? We get angry and bitter when things don't go my way right here. We try to store up as much comfort as possible to make this part as good as it can be right here. We think only about this part. But what is Christ telling you? He says that you have died. You have died to this part right here. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Right now, 
right now your mind is there. Your heart is there. So set your mind and your heart not on these things, but on these things forever with him. That gives serious implication to the way that you live. Some of you know that I like to run for exercise and for a hobby. Can I tell you a secret? This isn't the secret yet, but sometimes when I'm running, my legs get really tired. My legs get really heavy and my lungs burn. That's not the secret. The secret is what I do when I feel that and I look around and see that nobody's watching me. Sometimes when that happens, what I like to do is tilt my head back and just run like this. <laughs> it's kind of a silly way to run. But what it does is it makes everything next to me, all the houses, all the mailboxes, all the trees, and for a moment, the great long distance I have to run to get back home disappear. And there's one thing that fills my vision. It's heaven. It's a heaven above. And it's a silly way to run, but it's a great metaphor for the way that God calls us, the way God calls Christians to live our life, the way he calls us to think about our destiny, what will happen when we die, where we go when we die. It's the posture of a Christian. We run setting our mind, not on these things, but on the things above. Because we're running a race. We're running a race called life. And sometimes it does hurt. Sometimes it does make us tired. And so we set our mind on things above. We set our mind on the reminder that, yes, we're running a race, and yes, it feels like sometimes we're losing. Yes, we're surrounded by death. Yes, we're surrounded by sin. But thanks be to God. He's already given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And just think about the implications of that for a moment. Think about what if you and I could run the race of life with that posture, with our vision completely filled with the joy, the inexpressible joy of heaven, the unending peace of what you have in Christ. Just think about if we could revel in the inevitability that we will be in, with Christ forever, in Christ forever. The smile, the smile would not just be a forced one, but it would be the thing that, that overcomes anything dark, anything tiring, anything gloomy we have on this earth. Imagine if we could live fully engaged on what's above and the degree to which that would help us transcend everything else around us. People are wondering. People are wondering what will happen when they die, where they will go when they die. You have the answer. You know that you are going where he is. You know you are going to where he has prepared a place for you. And really, the way God has called you to answer this question, you go, I'm not going anywhere. Because right now, my life is hidden. It is kept in Christ right now. The way that people so often answer that question is, is really one of three things. They, they ignore it. They try not to think about the inevitability that we're all going to die. It's ignorance. 
Sometimes people will make jokes. They'll make light of it because it gives you the impression of control or power over it. Sometimes people won't ignore it or or make jokes about it, but they'll try to come up with something and explains it. Very recently on the Colbert Report, Stephen Colbert was interviewing Keanu Reeves. And in a lighthearted way, as the show ended, he asked Keanu Reeves, Keanu, what happens when we die? And in the cool, calm, collective way that Keanu Reeves can, he gave a confident answer. And he goes, when we die, our loved ones will miss us very much. And he's right. But he didn't answer the question. He talked about what will happen to our loved ones when we die, not what will happen to us. The world wants to know what you know, that when you die, where you will go is to be with your Savior in heaven forever. Where you will go when you die is a place prepared for you. (laughs) And because of that, where you're going is not really anywhere different than you are already. You're with Christ, your life in his, his life in yours. Be encouraged with that and encourage others with that. And please stand and just let these words pour over you. Words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will be raised first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 